Hey there, believers. Let's get through this commercial break first so we can enjoy a full show. Want to be prepared for anything that 2024 throws at you from day-to-day life to a national emergency? From the office to the outdoors, then check out SquatchSurvivalGear.com. All packs are made in America, and all components of all packs are made in America. From the fabric to the frame, so you're supporting multiple small businesses when you shop with Squat Survival Gear. Chris, the owner, is a military vet, so all packs are made beyond mil-spec. These things are bomb-proof, and I use my gear daily. I use the Mothman pack going back and forth to work, and my Rock Ape pack stays loaded out in the Jeep. Go to SquatchSurvivalGear.com and get the piece of gear for the peace of mind today. Use promo code BUMP24 to save 15% site-wide. That's B-U-M-P-24 to save 15% site-wide. Hosea 4.6 says, My people are destroyed from a lack of knowledge. So now that we have this knowledge, we have to remember to walk in 2 Timothy 1.7, which says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, When he turned his back from shoulder to shoulder, it looked like as wide as the tailgate of a truck. This thing let out the most blood-curdling, mind-blowing, spine-tingling scream that you've ever heard in your life, and it cut through me like a knife. And I knew that they were going to take me. I just knew it. And then the next thing I can remember is being levitated. Well, when I look in there, uh, I see two big eyes staring back at me. Hello and welcome. You're listening to The Bump Podcast, a place for the believers of the unexplained, monsters, and paranormal. Join us, and we'll go face-to-face with what goes bump in the night. there believers i got a great episode for you this week i have the pleasure of bringing back vicky joy anderson i had her on the first time we talked about her book they only come out at night on season four episode 11 so if you're a fan of hers if you enjoy her conversations you got to check that interview out we kind of went off the cuff and it was just a great conversation also, I had her on, and this was a little bit, uh, I didn't announce who the guest was on the cover art, I don't think. And so this one didn't generate quite the same amount of um, attention as the first appearance that she had on. So I would encourage everybody to go on and check out Season 4, Episode 24, um, Asclepios. It's like Asclepios Revealed or something like that. Super interesting conversation. We went really deep um, into pharmacia and all that stuff. Way over my head, but you guys know she's a wealth of knowledge. So 
It was completely in her wheelhouse. One of my favorite conversations. Today, what we have slated to talk about will be uh, some hints and clues as to what's going on in the world as found in Psalms. Uh, Psalms in particular, uh, 82, 83, and 91. I have a real soft spot for Psalm 91. I've, I've done a lot of research on that. I've, I've taught on that. Thank the Lord. And um, I, so I, I'm most prepared for that portion of the conversation. Um, I've, I'm very familiar with Psalms 82, but Psalm 83, I, I haven't really, I've, I've read it a couple times and that's about it. So I'm really interested to see, you know, where, where this conversation goes. We might not touch on these topics more than five minutes. It's hard to tell. I mean, when we get started talking, it's just, you know, wherever it goes. And I'm fine with that because, you know, she knows what she's talking about. I want to hear what she has to say. So with all of that being said, if you want to support the podcast, as you all probably know by now, Patreon is no longer. I've moved the support platform over to Buy Me a Coffee. Um, I'm pretty sure the link to find my show is just buymeacoffee.com slash the bump podcast. And that way there's no subscriptions to worry about, you know, billing you when you're not expecting it, unless you want to subscribe. Um, there's also multiple levels that you can donate at on that. I think you can do custom levels. It's just whatever. It's just a way to support the show because I just at this point, I don't want to put anything behind a paywall. And this makes things a little more seamless. It it brings more content to you guys. If you want the videos, I'm going to be putting full length videos onto YouTube now. Um probably excluding some here and there. Like this week's episode, I don't think it's going to have a video. If I put it on YouTube, it'll probably just be some static image or something like that for you to, to look at while the episode plays. But full episodes will start going on to YouTube, and that will help out um, with those that like to watch the the show rather than just listen. Um. So, yeah, there's that. Buy me a cup of coffee. If you want to be on the show, uh, holler at me. If you have an interesting topic to dig into like this, or if you have an experience that you'd like to share, don't forget. You know, this the the whole name of the show is the believers of the unexplained monsters and paranormal. Um so any kind of ghost encounter, any kind of Bigfoot encounter, aliens, abductions, dogman, chupacabra, uh elemental spirits, uh whatever. Anything that you want to talk about that, that you've had to deal with in life, any kind of encounters or experiences, holler at me. And we'll, we'll schedule a time to talk, and we'll get into it. You can get a hold of me at 304-812-0553. That's the bump phone. Or you can email me at thebumppodcast at gmail.com. That's probably the easiest way. If you're on social media, I'm on everything there. So just check it out. Instagram, TikTok, Facebook. I don't do a whole lot on whatever you call it today, Twitter, X, whatever. I think there's an account, but I don't really mess with it. Um, 
So there you go. Social media or email or call direct. However you want to get a hold of me, doesn't matter. I just look forward to uh, to talking with you. All right. I believe that covers pretty much everything that I need to go over before we get into the the meat of this show. So let's go hunt. Go, let's go ahead and just bring Vicky Joy on, and you guys relax. Like I said, don't forget to check out episode season four, episode eleven, and season four episode twenty four. That's hours of entertainment. All right, for your listening pleasure. All right, let's go ahead and bring her on. All right. Can you hear me still? I can. All right. Didn't lose you. Vicki Joy, thank you very much for coming back on the show for the third time. I'm super excited about this one. Me too. Me too. It's a, what's this, uh, what do they call this? A hat trick? <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> that, thus ends my ability to do sports metaphors. So <laughs> that's yeah, all you yeah. got. <laughs> Mine too. Don't worry about it. I, I, I had trifecta and that's about all I had. Uh, oh, that's a good one too. Uh, but yeah, I appreciate you doing this because I know you're feeling a little bit under the weather. So I'll just, uh, I know how that feels to try to, to press on. So thank you very much for doing this for me. Oh, absolutely. Well, today, I think we're going to get into Psalms, right? We're going to. Yep. We had a yeah. look, look at, and I think we're going to do 91. We're going to do 91, one of my favorites, and probably probably a lot of people's favorite. Yeah, mine too. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a very important psalm. It's a very powerful psalm to use as prayer. So if you, uh, if you want to get started on that, or you want me to get started on that, we can just talk about however you want to. I know it was, uh, it was discovered in the Dead Sea Scrolls later on, as well as the Septuagint, right? I believe so. Yes. Yep. Uh, this, I just love this Psalm. You know, one does not write an entire book on sleep paralysis and not reference this Psalm. Right. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, Psalm 91 and Psalm 27 were always my go-to Psalms that I would have kind of to comfort me in the aftermath of a sleep paralysis experience. So once the, the, the episode was over and you're just kind of sitting there in shock in your bedroom, kind of trying to recover and scared to fall back asleep. I would always fall asleep uh, quoting either 27 or 91 and 27. Obviously it's great because it talks about the Lord is my light, my salvation. Whom shall I fear? He's the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread when evildoers come upon me to devour my flesh? Um, and it goes on and on about how in, even though we're surrounded by people that want to devour us we do not have to be afraid and so psalm 27 is is another really good one that one could write an entire book on but we're going to focus on psalm 91 and there are so many layers i don't even know where to start with this one Bo, because they're uh by way of my research we've got night demons in this but we've also got threshold covenants in this yeah. Um, we've got it in verse one and we've got it reiterated in verse nine. There is so much Hebraic parallelism in this psalm. You know, uh, for people who aren't familiar with Semitic poetry, they do not rely on rhyming. You know, uh, Latin based and English based poetry relies on poetry to make it sound beautiful. 
and I love this about Semitic poetry. In Semitic poetry, the beauty of the poem is the truth in the poem. It doesn't, it doesn't have to rhyme. It, the, it's not the words that are pretty, it's the truth and the, the, the concepts behind the words that make it beautiful. So because of that, there's a lot of parallelism in, in it, and you'll see that in verse one and verse nine. So maybe we could start there because that is the whole concept of the threshold. And people might not know that there's like vampire lore in Psalm 91, but there's a ton of it. And so in, in verse one, when it says, he who dwells in the shelter of the most high, that would mean in layman's terms, we take up residence with Jehovah. We, we live under his roof. Yes. We're under his authority. He's the patriarch of the home. He's the high priest of the home. We're submitting to that authority. So it doesn't just mean um, there's a rainstorm and we see a tree or an overhang or a rock. And when we're in trouble, we got this place to hide and not get wet. There's so much more here. When one dwells in the shelter of the Most High, they have stepped over the threshold and into the tent. And they are now in submission to the ruler of that household and you are in covenant in 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 semitic and hebraic and in biblical terminology if you are in someone's home it means that you have crossed over the threshold which means an entire ritual an entire threshold ritual a, a hospitality ritual was done before you could enter the home uh, where the animal would be slaughtered blood would be put on the door and then they would do various things. They would either, um, either the owner of the home and his guests would both dip their hands in the blood and then shake hands, or the owner would dip his hand in the blood and then put a handprint on his on the lintel of his door, and that was a sign or a symbol that, in good faith, I will take care of the person who comes over my threshold as if they are a bloodborne son in my home. I will protect them. I will lay my life down for them. If you miss out on this imagery, you miss out on so many of the subtleties in scripture. You won't understand Revelation 3.20 if you don't understand ancient threshold covenants. Behold, I stand at the door and knock if anyone comes to the door and opens and lets me in. Then I will covenant with him. I will do a salt covenant with him. I'll break bread with him. I'll, I'll sup with him, right? Yes. And so we miss all of this when we don't understand this. And so... Um, when when it says in verse one, he who dwells in the shelter of the most high, it doesn't just mean we run under a uh, a covering during a rainstorm so we don't get wet. And this is why it's so important that we start here, because I know a lot of people who recite Psalm 91 and it's called the soldier's prayer and people, right. you know, send it to their military sons and, and friends and relatives. And the fact of the matter is every promise in this chapter is contingent upon your fulfilling the requirement of first one. You have to step over the threshold and submit to live under the authority of the owner of that home. If you do not do that, or if you have not made him your dwelling place, like we see in Psalm 9, uh, verse 9, if you don't do that, then all of these wonderful benefits like long life and protection and angels carrying you up on their hands, et cetera, et cetera, yes. uh, treading on the lion in the coat, none of these promises are for you. 
none of these promises are for people who have not stepped over the threshold, died to the old man, lived anew, and have changed their last name in a betrothal covenant with Jehovah and have lived in his home under his authority in his dwelling. And so it's important that we get verse one right, because if we do not make Jehovah our dwelling place, everything that transpires in this psalm is not for you. And this is where we get a lot of people saying, God never answers my prayer. And I go to church and every time I ask, I don't get this. And the, it says in the Bible that this will happen and he breaks his promises. And you get so many people wavering in their faith, thinking that their prayers are weak or that their faith is weak. And it's simply that Psalm 91 is a covenant between two parties. And there's something we have to do in order to, to become the beneficiary of all of these things. Yes. And I think the reason why a lot of people are getting attacked at night and and they don't have any power over these demons and they're not treading on the lion and the cobra and they're terrified when the enemy uh, comes in like a flood and they don't know what to do when things happen around the globe where political and governmental laws are being put into place that they don't have the courage to stand up to and they don't understand what's going on and it's because the people who are fearless the people who tread on lions and cobras are the ones who have first made the dwelling place of the most high their place of residence it's a requirement if you want all the other promises in this chapter that's, that's perfect. And we do that by, like you said, submitting and agreeing to live under the authority of God. Amen. Amen. That's it. Right. And, and when we, if you, if you carry this metaphor further, uh, when, when we sin, it's like leaving the tent, crossing over the threshold and, and wandering in the camp a little bit too far. Right. And so, what if if you look at that in terms of spiritual warfare, you know, we live in a hyper grace society where, oh, God will forgive me. It's easier to get forgiveness and get permission. And, oh, I can just ask for forgiveness. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's this whole, whole like Britney Spears theology. Oops, I did it again. And just totally not <laughs> taking God seriously at all. Right. But here here's the way you got to look at it. If you want protection from the enemy or from whatever's going on in your life that you're praying for and you're not having success in your prayers. The reason God is able to protect us is because we're within arm's length of him when we are in his shelter. When we yes. live in his home, anyone who gets to us has to break into Jesus's house to get us, right? So if you break into Jesus's house, you break down his door, He's going to put his hand out. He's going to push you in, into another room and lock the door and keep you safe. And he's going to do battle with that thing. But if you're 10 tents away, getting drunk and doing all your fun stuff, you know, in some other tent and someone breaks into that house to get you, it's not that Jesus isn't going to come after you, but he's 10 tents away. And what, what sort of damage is going to be done to you in the time it takes for him to get to you? Like, that's the metaphor of this. That the reason why we have this refuge, the reason why we have this power isn't because if we pray a prayer, we're endowed with some sort of magical abilities and we become this superhero. It's that we've literally just moved. We've, we've moved from our own tent into his tent 
And the reason why we're suddenly so powerful when we unite with Jesus isn't because he endows us with superpowers. It's because we're living under his roof and he's doing the battles for us. Yes, that's perfect. That's perfect. And yet, abide in the shadow. How close mm. you have to be to be in a shadow, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. you're staying close. You're staying close. And you're spending time with him. Um, yes. Spending time in the word. Yeah, I, I love that the way you're, you're fleshing out verse one, because that, that says, like, like you said, it sets the stage for the entire psalm. Yes. Yeah, it does. And, and we see it again here. We see the Semitic parallelism. We see the linchpin of the verse, I think, is verse nine, and it's carrying on the same theme. It's a callback to verse one. So verse one is he who dwells in the shelter of the most high. Verse nine is for you have made Jehovah your refuge, even the most high your dwelling place. Yes. That that four at the beginning of the verse is basically saying everything that has just been promised to you in those eight verses has occurred because you, you followed the instruction of verse one, because you made Jehovah your dwelling place. And then we can backtrack now and see all the things in verses one through eight that someone who has made him, um, someone who enters into a relationship with Jesus. I mean, think about this. You're going to be delivered from the snare of the, of, of the trapper. Keep 2020 in mind when you read the rest of verse three. For it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. Yes. How, how many professing believers in 2020 failed to see this promise come true? Right? So mm -hmm. did, did God fail? Did he break a promise? Because he promises to keep us safe from deadly pestilence. So if we weren't kept safe from it, did he fail? Or do we need to take a long hard look in the mirror of verse one and say, what did, where was I located? You know, what were my GPS coordinates in conjunction to his tent in 2020? Mm -hmm. and, and how, and how vulnerable was I to that pestilence and what responsibility did, do I need to take for the fact that I was out of the vicinity of his favor when I needed him? That's good. That's really good. Um, yeah, it says, deliver us from the snare, the trap. You know, snares or traps or temptations. Mm. Um, I, I'm doing one on at church tomorrow on temptations. Um, but also, when it says delivers us from the deadly pestilence, pestilence. Um, that that word was was it Deber or Deber something like that? D e b e r. Okay. And that's one of the three causes of wide-scale death. Mm. Um, the pestilence is. And it's associated, that name, because it's a capital D. It was the name yes. of an actual demon or a spirit. Yes. And I'm so glad you brought that up, Bo, because we're going to see that same thing happening in verse 5 and 6 as well. The, yes. terabyte, the terabyte night and this this destruction that lays waste at noonday yes. um the terror by night and the noonday they actually have the the hebrew words uh pachad and the day are actual entities it's not just 
I'm afraid at night or I'm afraid at noon. These are actual entities that are assigned to various portions of the day. And we can get into detail about who the Pakad and the Midday demon is when we get there. So, but I did not realize that um, Trapper was one of them as well. So uh, that is really cool. I'm going to look into that. Yeah. Um, but it, it's, it's pestilence, you know, the Trapper, you know, the snare of the Trapper. I always or the pestilence. The yeah, as the enemy, but yeah, the deadly pestilence. Um, pestilence. The pestilence. Gotcha. Um, and the terror, like you said, and the arrow. Those are all. Those are all demons by name. Um, yep. 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 They're, they're given a capital, capital letter at the beginning of it. You know what I mean? Like so. It, exactly. The, the proper names there. There, there are so many places that it happens a lot in Isaiah and Jeremiah as well, where you'll see this random capital letter. Mm -hmm. on just a normal noun or verb and and if you look it up and and do the research it usually is talking about something very specific it's usually a personality it's usually a name and in isaiah a lot of times when it talks about wolves or owls if you if you really look it up if you look it up in the commentaries it's it's not talking about actual animals it's talking about various entities and and demons and um creatures of the night so to speak Yes, absolutely it is. Absolutely it is. Um, yeah, I, I, I know we'll get into it and here just <laughs> just to say it's hard for me to not go ahead and just jump straight into I know. these creatures. I know. Oh, man. I know, I know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, man. Well, it, it it really is diabolical. and And I don't think that every misinterpretation or misunderstanding we have in scripture is necessarily some intentional thing where, you know, you've got some uh, falsely motive person in the corner, you know, giggling and changing the scriptures. I mean, I, I think that it happens, but what I'm saying is uh, a lot of what they've done to strip the Bible of some of the more horrific visuals that are in here, it does us a disservice because uh, you know, when you read something in verse five, like you will not be afraid of the terror by night, everybody there is just going to think, I don't have to be scared of the dark or I don't have to be scared of bad dreams. Right. And and that's great. You don't have to be. But if you don't understand that one of the ways that the enemy attacks and harasses and wears out the saints is that there are actual entities that are assigned to torment people in their sleep. Yes. And some of it's more than dreams. Some of it, you're being pulled into the astral. Um, some of it with like these UFO abductions and every, you know, we're just told everything is narcolepsy and everything's a dream. And if every single thing is just chalked off to a mental illness or a disease or something to just medicate, uh, we, we miss out on the fact that there's areas and times and places in our life where we need to be doing real combat and real spiritual warfare where we're just giving ourselves pep talks like Vic, don't be such a baby don't be afraid of the dark don't be such a baby but <laughs> you know we have the right to fear what should be feared and um when we're in a situation where we're face to face with an enemy of god uh we don't have to be trembling in fear but we're not even going to understand the situation that we're in if we don't understand the situation we're in right so that's right uh, i think that when we dumb down some of these scriptures when we put really kind of 
neat English euphemisms. They're like, um, don't be afraid of the terror by night. Um, you miss out on the fact that there is uh, real Ephesians six twelve combat going on in that verse. Yes, absolutely. Yes, that's that's exactly what this is. Uh, this is the principalities and powers uh, and mm -hmm. spiritual wickedness. That, that that's exactly what's going on here with these terror by night. Um, yeah. One one thing I do. Well, there's a couple things. Uh, as far as being in spiritual warfare, a couple of things I do to protect myself and to um, you know, to fight back a little bit. Uh, I got into the habit because my dreams started getting really weird. Uh, yeah. Like weird. So my wife and I, we've gotten into the habit of at night, I turn on my Bible app and just let it read. You know, just let I just let it play aloud. Yeah. Yeah. And I go to the New Testament specifically. So it's it's using the name of Jesus every time it turns around. You know what I mean? Yes. It's, it's the word of God. Um, and honestly, I don't have any kind of weird or disturbing dreams if that's playing. If I miss it for a night and I'm like, man, that's a, I had a weird dream again. I'll look over and it's not playing. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's like it's waiting for an opportunity. But right. Um, that keeps my mind, even subconscious mind, on on the prize here instead of allowing for it to be distracted. Yeah, yeah, uh, yep, yeah. Yeah, one thing, and this is hard to do, and uh, there's a caveat with it as well, but I find that if I acapella sing some praise songs before I go to bed, and I specifically pick songs that are giving glory to God or to Jesus. I don't pick the, there's a lot of praise songs that are very man-centered and I, mm -hmm. I specifically pick one like Jesus name above all names, like that kind of a thing. And um, the, the one caveat though, that I'll say to this is, you know, it's kind of like if you've got um, like, if you've got the flu, it's too late to start thinking, hey, every day I should be taking some vitamin C. It's too late at that point, right? And right. All, all the vitamin C in the world's not going to compensate for the storm that's come upon your body. And so it's sort of the same thing. If you're going to worship or you're going to do something right before you go to bed to you know, quell these fears, especially if you have a, a, a long history of, of nocturnal warfare, you're you're sort of undoing it if you're going to spend the two or three hours preceding bedtime doing a whole bunch of things that are inviting the things you know yeah. what i mean yeah <laughs> so, don't be doing things you, you know you're not supposed to be doing <laughs> exactly exactly so rather than the second i turn out the lights and i you know feel the sheets on my body is the time to start doing warfare you start doing you'd start doing nighttime warfare after dinner as soon as yes. dinner's done and the dishes are done you spend the rest of the evening preparing for that. And, yes. you know, if you're dwelling on things of the world or things that are stirring up all sorts of negative emotions or like, I'll, let, let's just give the best example. If you spend three hours in front of your computer watching the news before you go to bed, you're going to have all sorts of fear and anxiety and everything's going to be in your head. So at that point, you know, you've already set the mood for that sleep cycle as far as I'm concerned. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. If you got to watch something before bed, if that's how you unwind, 
turn on Little House on the Prairie or something, you know? <laughs> that's right. That's right. No kidding. <laughs> uh, oh, man. I, I say that because that's what's playing downstairs right now. <laughs> like, oh, man. I, I grew up on that. That was one of my favorite shows. So I know. It's, it's wonderful. <laughs> but, you know, so, something else I do, and with Psalm 91 in particular, um, that I find helps me. And I think... Um, if we apply it to any, any time we read through scripture to use it as part of our prayer life, I think it's yes. important to do, to, to recite it, stitch it to your heart, you know, try to learn it, know it, get familiar with it. But um, when you say it, say it in first person. Yes. Know, um, I, I will not be afraid of the terror by night. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, make that covenantal promises at the end because I love you. You will deliver me. You, you set me securely on high because I've known your name. You'll be there for me in trouble, you know, and I, I just try to personalize it. Uh, it, it helps with the reality of what we're going through and to acknowledge that we know that this isn't just words. We're making this covenantal promise with God as we speak. Right. Yeah. I love that. I, I do that as well. Psalm 91, because it's one of my favorites. I did set it to music and I did it in first person like that yes. to the point where I don't even know if I can recite the Psalm as it reads anymore, because I'm so used to, I'm so used to singing like, <laughs> yes. I, I will dwell in the shelter of the most high. I will abide in the shadow of the almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Yes. And and it's and it's interesting because even the psalmist kind of goes back and forth. He's he starts with he who dwells in the shelter, but by verse two, he's already turned it to himself. I will yeah. say of the Lord. I will say to the Lord. Yeah. It's just yeah. like uh, Psalm 23, you know, the, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lay down green path, you know, and yeah. it goes back and forth instead of him talking to God or about God. And it's just it's great. Yeah, yep. I, I love some of the nuances of semitic writing and like how they thought collectively as a body you know they they had an individual walk with the lord but they they thought of themselves as a cohesive group of people a family and assembly and i i even i love it when nehemiah is praying for all of the sins of judah and even though he's righteous and he was preserved through the diaspora. He lived to go back to the land. He he was honored in getting to rebuild the, the infrastructure. And yet when he prayed for the repentance of all of the sins of the people of Judah, he included himself in it. He said, we and us. Yes. And I, I just think that here in America, like how do we pray when we pray for political leaders or we pray for elections or we pray for abortion or the sex trade or whatever, I'll bet most of us instinctively are praying for them, they, those who do this, because we're not a part of this, or we're not a part of this. And and yet in in a Semitic mindset, uh, and I've tried to do this before, Bo, and it's really difficult how your pride gets involved, where it's like, well, I hate this, and I've never done this, and I've never participated in it, and I haven't given my money to this, like, but to, to pray for the, all of the sins of, of your nation and all of the blood that's been spilled and all of the apostasy, but to, to pray we instead of them. 
it, it's a very humbling approach to to prayer. And we do see that a lot in the Psalms and we see it a lot throughout scripture where the prophets were very often including themselves along with the with the, with the sinners and with the with the enemies recognizing that in their humanity they were just as fallen and hey i might not be guilt, guilty of the exact same thing that they are but um they really practiced what they preached with the taking the the log out of their own eye before they prayed for the speck in others yeah, that's a very good point and that's something that can be easily overlooked when we're looking at it um but yeah, if we're going to pray for God to have mercy on America, we need to say us. Mm -hmm. You're right. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, man, that's a good point. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah it, it's tough. It, it really is. Like I said, I've tried it. And um, we have just, and I think it's by design, but we as a culture, we're so individualistic. And if you read the scriptures, especially, you know, how we're all different parts of the same body and the assembly, the, the, the assembly, the ecclesia, the whole Bible, Christianity, following Jesus, it's a collective, it's a collective group. It's, it's, he's not about the individual. And, and I think it's by design that we as Americans have been taught to mm -hmm. think, and it goes all the way back to like, I mean, I remember when phrases started coming into the vernacular, like, look out for number one. Like it kind of started out with that. And um, I think even the, the U.S. military at one point, they've since abandoned it. But for a while, the U.S. Army, their their tagline was Army of One. Yeah. Remember that? Oh, yeah. yeah. And this whole it's like, OK, I, I do not want to be a soldier in an army where everybody thinks it's every man for themselves, <laughs> you know, and, and it's so not even representative of people in the military because they are so much about being a band of brothers and watching out for their buddies and saving like the lives of their buddies and risking their lives for their buddies and yeah. being friends for life with their buddies that they were in the foxhole with. So it, it doesn't even make sense as a, as a military tagline, but it was all part of the, the, I think, um, socially engineered idea that if you get every American, like watch your back, watch out for number one, uh, we've done such a detriment to our family life, to our church life, and even to our country. And just thinking we're all these like little individual pieces of confetti floating in the air and we never touch each other. It's just not the way it was designed. You're right. You know, and I've, I've been bad for that in my life, you know, and I, it's not like some, something that I've laid down completely. I still have moments where I, I worry about, well, what's that going to, what's it going to do for me? Like, how's that mm -hmm. going to, how's that going to put me out? Yes. Instead of just knowing that it might help somebody else, I have yeah. to factor myself into it. And it's it's a it's a learned behavior. I know it is. Um, yeah. But it's 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 ugly behavior and it's something that we need to work on. It it definitely requires probably a lifetime of sanctification. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, for real. <laughs> it's so instinctive. Yeah. To... What, what's in it for me? That that's very American, right? That's very that's very much our attitude. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Mm. Well, I'm, I'm kind of stoked to get into some of these names um, in five and six, as well as in verse, let me find it here, verse um, 13, because we're going to see that there's an actual uh, personality behind that serpent as well. 
and it, it might not be who everybody thinks it is either. Mm, let's go. Yeah. Uh, All right. So in the order that they are served, verse five, the terror by night. Yes, the terror by night. <laughs> now, according to all the research I've done on this, this points to one particular entity. Uh, on, on top of our worries and fears and anxieties and threats and all these things that um, are attributed with terror and night terrors and nightmares and all that stuff, right? Yes. Uh, there's there's somebody kind of at the helm of that, this this spirit that it's referring to um, is Lilith, right? Well, hold on a second. Oh, I got a cough. The oh, uh, the Lilith, the, the night terror or the screech owl or however they refer to her in Isaiah. I'm having a cough attack here. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that, well, you know what that makes they, sense. They, they won't let me talk. They won't <laughs> let me talk. It's another they, don't, they don't want to be unmasked. <laughs> I'm going to gut through this. Oh. It's all right. All right. I'm, get, I'm getting over this little blue thing here. So anyway, interestingly, uh, Derek Gilbert told me this. It blew my mind. So in the Hebrew word in that verse for um, terror by night, it's not a phrase. It's one word. It's pachad mm -hmm. in English, P-A-C-H-A-D. <clears throat> and it translates like if you go to the Hebrew Strong's, it translates like dread and things like that. But if you go to the Dictionary of Deities and Demons, it's a capital P and it's the guy's name. It, it's an actual night demon. Now, it is a masculine word. However, a lot of these incubus, succubus type of night demons, right? There's some controversy there. Some believe that the incubus is a boy and the succubus is a girl. Right. I actually theorize, I, I kind of think that they're like incubus and succubus, they're fairly new terms. They're not ancient terms. It's not what they called them in the old days. In the old days, I think that these night demons that come and terrorize, I don't think they're male or female because I don't think they're human. I think that they can put forth an energy that is interpreted by a human being as either male or female. Mm. And in the and in the past, I think that people assumed, um, well, that's a male because I'm a woman and it attacked me, or that's a female because I'm a male and it attacked me. But what we're finding now in our current culture is that a lot of women are getting succubus attacks and a lot of men are getting incubus attacks and not necessarily even people who um what, what's the word who um um identify sorry i couldn't think of that word it's not even necessarily people who identify as homosexual straight people are getting attacked by same gender entities. Uh, and how much more I, terrifying is that, right? Exactly. So then not only is it terrifying, but then there's all sorts of confusion and lots of havoc can be reaped from those experiences. And I've talked to people 
that have had those experiences and it causes much confusion. Yes. And so I don't think that the fact that Pachad is a night demon and it's a masculine word means that we should uh, cross Lilith off the list because even Lilith has male iterations. Lilith is just the Hebrew version of that night demon. But there, every culture had a name for her. So there was a Lamashtu, the Lilu, the Lilitu, the Lamia. And uh, some of those were male. And at least one of them that I know of was what are most of them are female, but one of them is male. But yeah, we know. Lilu, right? Yep. Yep. So we know from a lot of these entities. So Anana is one of them. So Anana also goes by many names. She is the queen yeah. of heaven, mm-hmm. Aphrodite. Ishtar, like it goes on and on, right? She's got a million names. But she is a gender fluid uh, demon because in in the poems that survive to this day, she she talks about how she is a, uh, a, a female by day and a warrior by night. And if you look into the the temple stations in um, like the, the temples of Aphrodite, et cetera, and in Anana, uh, they had the Pugaras and the Pili Pilis. And so the, the high priests and the prostitutes in Anana's court were, um, the the prostitutes were, were castrated males that dressed in drag. So, oh, wow. so and then the, 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 like the high priests were women who dressed like men. And so the feminist movement and the ERA and all the stuff that you're seeing in, you know, the suffrage movement and all the stuff that's happened from the 1960s up till today, nothing new under the sun. Right. We have have different names for it and things, but this is all kind of like the spirit of Inanna. And it's the same thing with Lilith. And uh, you've got Lilith, the screech owl. She's mentioned in Isaiah as the screech owl. She's a night demon. And, I think that it can be a male or a female iteration and she's very vampiric in nature. She comes at night. She crosses the threshold. This is where the tradition of putting all sorts of talismans on the frames of doors um, came from. And I'm not just talking about a mezuzah like that. That's the unadulterated version. That's, that's the biblical version, but um, Pazuzu was another demon and he was a bad guy as well. But for yeah. some reason, Pazuzu was a good guy in one situation. Mm-hmm. If you put his image on your door, or if you put him on your mantelpiece, where if someone broke in, that he'd be in the line of their eyesight and you'd see it on the mantle. Supposedly, uh, Lamashtu was terrified of Pazuzu. So if you put up, a and a relic or an emblem of him on your door or on your mantle that would scare her away. That was the that was the the belief. But oh. uh, the Lamashtu was a uh, a spiteful woman, and you're going to see similarities between Lamashtu and Lucy Westrenra from Bram Stoker's Dracula. Uh, and I I believe her name was Lucy because. Anytime you have that kind of a show and the name is Lucy, it's usually a, a hat tip to Lucifer. And, right, right. And um, But what you have in both cases is a rejection of the male suitors. Lucy had two male suitors. And when she was turned into a vampire, she rejected both of them and went around attacking children, right? So there was a wanton desire that, that was perverted. 
mm-hmm. once once mm-hmm. she turned. And so the same thing with Lamashu. She primarily attacked pregnant women, nursing mothers, and babies in the womb or babies in the crib. And again, we see that same spirit alive today because we see that pregnant women and children in the womb are not protected by the way that they should be protected. And and so we see this again, nothing new under the sun. So... This, this Lilith demon is a very sort of vampiric in nature, but I believe that there is both a male and a female iteration and either, either there's <clears throat> either there's a male and a female or there's one and it can just transmogrify into what, whatever energy it wants. Right. Wow. Wow, that makes sense. <clears throat> um, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, you just blew my mind. I had I hadn't heard of the Picard before. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna dig into that. I'm sure. Um. Yeah. Yeah, and on the topic of Lilith, if you don't care, just for a second, please. Um, there's a book called the Zohar. I don't know if yeah. I haven't mm-hmm. been real familiar with it, but I found it when I was digging through things. And yeah. It, in that, it says that there were four queens of demons lilith is one of four and what these women were are the are the ones who the watchers took as wives um and and spawned the nephilim and that's how they become the queen of demons because we know what the nephilim become the disembodied spirits they become the demons um but i was reading um just you know new year's resolution let's just read through the whole bible again i got to genesis 4 and stopped in my tracks because <laughs> um, I, I didn't even make it to six. <laughs> oh no! I'll, I'll tell you what there was a uh, in Lamech. It's going through like the uh, oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it goes through the you know the genealogy, right? It goes through the, yeah. the names. Well, I was looking through here and I was like, wow! It mentions this woman, Nama, or Nama, as a sister to all these boys mm. and they typically leave the girls out you know that on, on yes. this stuff um yep. they don't name the daughters but they yep. named her well just so happens i recognize that name because it's one of the four queens of the demons mm. when you get into the zohar and what was so interesting about this is not only was the name the same, which I know it seemed like they had a hard time picking new names back then, (laughs) but (laughs) her, uh, her brother was Tubal Cain. Okay. And he's the one that has this, all of a sudden, this gift of forging bronze and iron. Yeah. And Jubal, who plays the the lyre and the pipe, the music, you know? Yeah, yes. Um, and Jabel, who's uh, working with tents and livestock. So these guys are getting all this knowledge from somewhere while their sister is on this list of queens of demons. Yes. Yep. So there's the exchange. And it's right there in Genesis 4 that I've never seen it before. Oh, man, that's awesome. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Wild. Uh, another similar situation, which it could be an entirely separate show on its own, and that is Maka, 
one of King David's wives, yes. the, the mother of Absalom. Yes. I mean, her father was one of the sons of Anak. Yes. Alive hundreds of years later. I'm going to go down a major rabbit hole here, so you're going to have to shut me up. But, no, go for but it. so Absalom's grandpa is a son of Anak. David has married into this bloodline. And so the reason Absalom escapes and goes and ha hangs out with, with grandpa, right? Jerusalem, if I'm remembering this correctly, was part of the land that Caleb claimed. And it was, it was the land taken from Maka's father. Mm. So when, when Absalom comes back and instead of making nice with the family, he decides to try to usurp the whole kingdom. It's yeah. because it's because grandpa was whispering in his ear during all of his hideout days that get me my land back and you'll be king. Yeah. And, and doing the most devious stuff he could think of, right? Yeah. The, the sexual yeah. moralities and the, yeah. And I still don't get why David grieved so hard mm. for that one. Oh man. Oh man. I, I don't either. It, <clears throat> you know, King David was an amazing warrior, an amazing poet, probably an amazing man in many respects. But if you use the Bible as a manual uh, for parenting, <laughs> yeah, he, he didn't seem to be the greatest dad in the world. Right. He he's he did a lot of things with his kids that he could have handled differently. Yeah. 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 That's a good way to put it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he wasn't father of the year, but you know, he still goes down in history as one of the greatest men, that's for sure. But man after God's own heart, all of his descendants blessed to to the very end generation and the Messiah comes through him. And so I'm not knocking King David, believe me, he's one of right. my heroes. But but some some of his uh, parenting skills were were lacking at times. <laughs> yes, there, there are there are lessons on both ends of the spectrum to learn from David. It, yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, so so yeah, that's the Picard in in verse five. But man, even just given the the last few minutes of conversation that we've had on that verse, you can't ever read that verse again the same way. Right. You will not be afraid of the terror by night. Uh, now, knowing that that's not just some poetic little image he put in there, it's not some random word picture, or it, it's not just a nightmare, or you're scared of the dark. Like, there is a massive entire realm of spiritual warfare lurking behind that phrase. Yes, that, that is an entity over entities. That is... yes. Uh, is the terror by night <laughs> yes know? exactly mm -hmm. and and the same with uh um the arrow that flies by day yeah that's the uh reshef or reshef I'm, I'm not good at pronunciations with this stuff um, no worries that was r-e-s-h-e-f he's a demon of warfare and epidemics Wow. This is cool. It's like, it's like we're both touching on every other one. Like I didn't know about pestilence or arrow, but I knew about terror and noonday. Right. So it's kind of like we're filling in the blanks for each other here. This is awesome. 
Yeah, I, I love it. Hmm. Um, so yeah, that's that's another one. It's a it's a demon that is over this or is behind the scenes pulling pulling strings here. And epidemics, we we all went through that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we went through pandemics. Um, I wonder where pan comes from. Where's that? Where's that? Oh, stuff, that prefix you- come from. <laughs> there you go the, <laughs> the, the goat demon pan <laughs> yeah oh my gosh uh, oh man yeah and and so that goes to verse six the pestilence that stalks in darkness we we already covered that guy and you said that there's the destruction that lays waste at noonday right noonday right so in hebrew it's midday m-i-d-d-a-y like like in english we would say like midday like no that's just that's just the time of the day um the midday demon is a stalking demon that brings oppression uh depression uh anxiety uh so there's a couple of different areas of history where we see this guy show up uh, the monks used to talk about this. The The monks talked about this noonday demon that after their, you know, afternoon prayers, they would all kind of get like a, like a, a siesta where they'd go to their rooms and they'd basically hide out because the noonday demon would strike them at that hour and they would have depression and suicidal thoughts and they'd be brought to despair and uh, the Dictionary of Deities and Demons gives a, a great rundown on it. But in my research, I also found that in some cultures, they believe in something called the corn wraith demon, I believe, or the cornflower wraith. I think it's the cornflower wraith. And they associate it with the, the scorching sun, like the sun is highest in, in, the, in the sky at noon. And so uh, they attributed like... Um, sun stroke or you know sun poisoning and things like that too so they would again they would have these siestas where they would go in during noon so that they couldn't be you know under the spell of this cornflower wraith and uh you know they they word it in such a way that when you read it it just sounds like mythology and it sounds like a fable and they don't say demon you know but it, it really makes sense. And one of the things that I've been trying to do in my research, and I haven't come up with anything conclusive yet, but a lot of people who have sleep paralysis, you know, they've experienced this terror by night. If you don't do the proper prayers after that to kind of clear the space and close all the doors, most people who have sleep paralysis will tell you that they feel like something's following them the rest of the day, like something's attached to them. Really? Uh, yeah, and they'll they'll feel off the whole rest of the day and they'll be lethargic and scared to go to bed the next night. And I, I experienced that myself for years. So one thing I'm trying to correlate, and I just haven't found anything in my research that is solid enough for me. I almost wonder if the Pakad and the Midday demon are like in a relay race and they pass the baton. So like the Pakad torments you at night. Day and night, yeah. But then he's got to go back to his little coffin because he can't be in the sun, right? You know, and that. Yeah. But but then he passes the baton to this noonday or midday demon who then has access through the open door uh, to torment you then during the day. So, uh, I mean, here in the scripture, it's listed as two different entities, but it it doesn't necessarily mean that they work in 
conjunction with one another. So I don't know, but because of my own experiences with sleep paralysis, where you are kind of in this fog the whole rest of the next day, it made me wonder if those two were kind of like uh, partners in crime. Wow. Yeah, I'm sure they are. I mean, the, they're being listed together, you know, night and day. You're being terrorized. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the Septuagint also capitalizes uh, destruction in that, too, the, as Kateb. Uh, and I'm not sure, well, you know, maybe it's just that it is destruction, but um, it was another, it was, that was Heiser, I think, that found that and pointed it out. I found it in his book about demons, I believe. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it was, uh, that's another, that's interesting. That, that's another entity. And, you know, the thing oh. is, you know, they're, they're named in Psalm 91 of the Septuagint, right? Um, yeah. As the Greek Old Testament, uh, the Hebrew Bible, it's it, they have it listed there. And this, it's of Jesus's day, the Second Temple period. They believed in these things. They they realized yeah. it was very much reality. So yes. the, the the scrolls and the books that Jesus and the disciples are studying and learning from, it would help if we knew that stuff too. Oh, I know. I know. Yeah. To to quote Dr. Michael Lake, which I think I do in just about every single podcast that I'm <laughs> on, because I love it so much, is and I don't know if this quote originates with him or not, um, but he says that as long as we separate ourselves from the context, the culture, the history, the language, and the geography of the text, we will not understand it. Yes. And we're so divorced from all five of those things that we have a little tip of an iceberg. I, I don't care. How many seminary degrees you have, how many, you know, doctorates, you have got a tippy tip of an iceberg in, in modernity. If you're an English speaking Christian in America, we, we don't know Jack. Yeah. Yeah. You, and you nailed that too. Just talking about uh, just the way it's written, you know, just the, the style mm. of poetry, it, it yeah. matters you know there's yes. there's some things that he goes through like david will go through the alphabet basically yes in each verse and it's just like we would never know that yes yeah but, we wouldn't we but wouldn't. there's so much so much to be taken from this stuff and you mentioned also too um about how they'll just slap a diagnosis on something that is you know at times it could be someone that's demonized yes and oh yeah these demons don't go away, you know, no. uh, look at the book of Daniel. Gabriel comes to him, right? Yeah. And then 650 years later, he comes to Mary. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> these, these guys live a long time and these, these yeah. demons, they're disembodied. They, they're, they're not going up. They're not going down. They're stuck yeah. right here. So they don't yeah. go away. We just gave them new names. Yeah, um, we use them mm -hmm. as crutches. You know, how many times have you heard people say that my anxiety, yes, or my depression, yes, yes, they're they're making a covenant, they're making a claim with these things, yes, and yes. don't even know it. Coming into agreement instead of I am anxious about this right now, or I have anxiety, and yes, this makes me feel yeah. anxious. Yes, and I'm glad you brought that up because. It ties in with what we're saying too about the the demons changing their names and um, 
someone getting a diagnosis because these demons are clever. There are side effects of demonization that manifest physically. So they hide, they hide behind actual physical side effects that have a medical diagnosis. And so the person legitimately is manifesting, like let's use the New Testament example. A boy is manifesting epilepsy. He's got yes. all of the signs. He's got having seizures. He's being thrown into the fire. And if if you want to see something interesting, look up that Bible verse on Bible Hub, where you can see all the different translations in one place. In one translation, the father is saying that his son has epilepsy. Uh -huh. And in one, he says, my son has seizures. In another translation, he says, my son is a lunatic, which um, which ties in with another translation that says he's moonstruck because Luna of the moon, lunatic, moonstruck. Right. And then one of the translations says, my son has an epileptic spirit, an epilepsy, an epileptic demon. Yeah. And that was in ancient times was known as Bennu epilepsy. So if, if you're out there and you're listening and you legitimately have uh, have epilepsy, I'm not talking about every single person in the world. Right. There, there was a specific type of epilepsy and they have since found a 3000 plus year old cuneiform tablet. It, it was in some library overseas. I can't remember if it was Egypt or where it was, but it's a medical tablet explaining Bennu epilepsy. Wow. And there is a whole entire etymology of the word Bennu, but there's a picture on the tablet of a pan-like creature, like a goat-like pan-like creature. And the medical diagnoses, if you had Bennu epilepsy, it was because you were being demonized by the demon Bennu. Right. And that's, so it was a very specific type of epilepsy. Wow. So in, in the case where Jesus heals that boy, he doesn't heal him he he exorcises him right and so we see we see examples in scripture where people come up to jesus with a physical ailment i'm i have seizures i'm blind i can't walk i can't hear and sometimes he would heal them and sometimes he would cast a demon out of them and so where i'm going with all this is we now have a dsm-5 that is you know, inches thick. Yep. I have one right now. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Yep. Yep. And they are trying to keep up with all making up all of these socially engineered titles for things to cover up the fact that a lot of these people simply failed to understand or believe or perform Psalm 91 verse one. Yes. And, and they were attacked. And yes, they are physically manifesting because when you're demonized, they're going to make you sick. They're going to make you crazy. They're going to make you mentally ill. They're going to, of course, they're going to torment you. You're going to be in torment and that's going to have a toll on you physically and mentally. And a lot of those physical and mental side effects are going to line up perfectly with things that have a medical diagnosis. But that doesn't mean that attached along to that diagnosis is a spiritual issue that also needs to be dealt with. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, what a, I don't know, just where I'm at in life, you know, 
what a scary thought it is to not have that that defense, you know? Yeah. 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 yeah we're we're sitting ducks if we're sitting on the outside of yeah. the threshold of the tent of the Almighty. Yeah. And and it's just unaware, you know? Yes. Yes. You're unaware. Um okay, verse seven. Let, let me go let me go to verse seven real quick too. It says, a thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not approach you. Now, I'm reading from the American Standard. I, I love that version. Um, I think I am too. What, what caught my eye in this yes. is the word it, but it shall not approach you. Okay, okay. Okay, because uh, you got a thousand people dying over here, 10,000 over there, but it won't approach you. What is it? Um, um genderless pronoun right <laughs> and, and if you look at genesis seven twenty three, you'll see what it is in my opinion and i, I could be wrong and if i am please uh did you say genesis seven twenty three? yeah 723 okay i'll go on there all right time for the big reveal yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Genesis seven twenty three. Let me. Uh, I didn't even go to it myself. Hold on. Okay. <laughs> I'll see you, want here. you want me to read it? Well, as, I'll, I'll do it. It says, "Thus okay. he blotted out every living thing that was upon the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and to birds of the sky, and they were blotted out from the earth. And only Noah was left, together with those that were with him in the ark." It's the wrath of God. Oh. A thousand can fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but but it won't approach you. You won't face God's wrath because of you will, verse eight, you will only look on with your eyes and you will see the recompense. Oh, I yes. I love this. The, you know what? I was just talking about this on a podcast I was doing last night. The smoke and mirrors of the enemy, that what they do to make themselves look so much more powerful than they really are. Oh, yeah. Now, I know they're more powerful than me. You know, I know that they got gadgets and, you know, they got their go-go gadget belt and, you know, all their little <laughs> doodads, you know. Right. But what I love about this is when we read it the way we think, you know, because it's, it's we're talking about pestilence and all these things coming after us. And when you think of a thousand falling and 10,000, you think of war or you think of like um, disease, right? Right. And so it makes them look really powerful that it makes it look like these tears by night and these arrows that they have and the pestilence that they have, that they've got the power to destroy thousands and ten thousands of people. But the way that you're interpreting it, which flows better with verses eight and nine, is God is the one with the power to wipe out those sorts of masses. Yeah. And that's why we're protected. It's not because we're dodging bullets, like we're in the Matrix-like movie and we're dodging all these bullets. It's not that we have a superhero power and somehow with thousands of arrows flying, we have we managed to dodge all of them. It's that he's not aiming any of them at us. Right. We're in that's, his shadow. Yeah. That is, oh gosh, that's so awesome. Yeah, because if we're in his shadow, we're kind of behind him and all his arrows are going forward. That's right. That's amazing. Oh, gosh, I love that. <laughs> I, I love any verse where it looks like the enemy 
has power and you flip it on its head and it's like, no, God is the one that has the power and he's <laughs> the one that's getting the glory in this verse, not them. Like, I love that. Amen. Amen. Oh my goodness. And uh, see, that takes us down to verse nine and you were bringing up that this is a confirmation verse, right? Yeah. Yep. So this is uh, now the, the parallelism to verse one. Um, the reason you survived amongst 10,000 is because you're one of mine. You're my family member. I made a covenant with you. We're in a threshold covenant. We're in a betrothal covenant. You stepped over the threshold into my home. And every time I break bread with you, I'm we're in a salt covenant. And an ancient salt covenant, um, which they the carrier of the salt was the bread. So that's why it says weird things in, in the New Testament, like don't break bread with an unbeliever because you're covenanting with him. Uh, when you take salt with with uh, with another individual, you are pledging to lay down your life for that person, and they are pledging the same thing for you, which is why when Jesus says, I'm the bread of life, it, it has this beautiful layer of understanding that um, he's the bread of life, not only because he sustains um, and makes the eyes bright when we're hungry, but he, he has promised to lay down his life for us. And he in fact did. And so when he said before he died, I'm the bread of life, I think people in that culture would have understood that that means he was going to be broken and he was going to lay his life down. Oh, wow. So, um, that is beautiful. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. I, I always tell people, um, uh, Henry Clay Trumbull, T-R-U-M-B-U-L-L, he was actually the great grandfather of Elizabeth Elliot. He was uh, an evangelical. He wrote a trilogy of books called The Blood Covenant, The Salt Covenant, and The Threshold Covenant. And he wasn't writing it from like a theological standpoint. He was writing it as a historical record because he, he was writing it at the very end of the 1800s. It was like 1889 when he wrote, wrote these books. And all of these covenants were starting to go out of of style, but they were practiced all the way up to the mid 1800s all over the world. That's a fairly recent wow. thing to fall out. And he said that I've got to write this down because future generations aren't going to remember any of this. And so it it's, he doesn't tie it into scriptures and things like that necessarily, even though he is a Christian, uh, but he just, he he in a in a journalistic way writes down the blood the salt and the threshold covenants and once i read those books i cannot read the bible the same way i'm seeing salt threshold and blood covenants everywhere in scripture even in places that you would not expect them to be and i'll i'll give you one little taste to just wet the audience's appetite because Oh, yeah. My my desire is that this stuff comes back into the the vernacular of the church because it's so important in spiritual warfare and in understanding scripture. So in um the the Last Supper, Jesus is breaking bread with his disciples, and you have to understand that this is Passover, so this isn't a big fluffy dinner roll. This is some really tasteless flat bread, right? Yeah. And so what they would do, um to liven up the bread a little bit is they would dip it in a sauce and it was typically like a Roman fish sauce. And the reason it was a fish sauce is because fish are very salty and it would add salt to the bread. Oh my goodness. So when Jesus dipped that bread in the fish sauce and 
every one of his disciples ate it. That was a salt covenant. And what he was saying, and this is so beautiful, Bo, there's so many layers to this. Jesus was saying to the disciples, and they understood it. Jesus was saying, I will lay down my life for you, because that's what a salt covenant did. And all of the disciples that took the bread said, I will also lay down my life for you. And interestingly, um, 10 of them did. Yeah. They both, everyone at that table, except for Judas and John, um, kept that bread, that, that salt covenant. Now, John, they tried to martyr him. He survived. So he died a natural death, but he did go to the martyrs, you know, will for him. Right. So right. John kept the covenant as well. Jesus just spared him, but Judas broke a covenant. And in those days, you didn't break covenants. If you broke a covenant in those day and ages, you were ashamed to your family. You were put to death. You committed suicide like Judas did. He did, yeah. Um, and I'm not necessarily sure that he simply committed suicide out of remorse because he hurt Jesus or remorse that he broke that covenant and now he was a, a shame to all of his family and the whole society. So what's mm -hmm. interesting about the salt covenant in that case is if you go to the famous last supper painting um da -da -da -da, i always forget the guy's name and i've got a lot of brain fog today because of this uh cold D da vinci did da vinci do the last supper painting i think yeah. anyway the very famous last supper painting judas is the one um a guy or two away from jesus and he's got his arm on the table and he's gripping a little bag of silver and that's how you know it's him because he's holding the bag, right? He's holding the treasury bag. Right. If you if you look closely, there is a little jar of salt next to his forearm, and it's tipped over, and the salt is spilled on the table. Oh, of course. He broke the salt covenant, and when they said, "Who are you talking about?" He who I dipped this bread in the dish. Well, he dipped the bread in the dish with everyone. Right. And but what he was saying there wasn't it's the one who ate the bread. What he was saying is you're going to know who I'm talking about when you figure out who breaks the salt covenant. And that's how they knew it was him, um, because he he is the one that betrayed him. So when he showed up in the garden with the, with the guards, they're like, he's the one that broke the salt covenant. He was the one Jesus was talking about. That makes so much sense. Oh, so again, so culture, yeah. culture, culture, context, history, language, geography. And it's like the more we are taught these things, just the more exciting being in the word becomes. And like, I don't know how you have to go out of your way to make this book boring. But yeah, mo but really. modern modern Christianity has done a pretty good job of it. I'll tell you that. I, I've sat through my share of boring sermons in my lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm. yeah, for real. I I got excited when I finally figured out, you know, this battle that goes on from the beginning to the end, you know, like, and it, it is Genesis 6 talk. I know people are probably tired of hearing it, but when these watchers come down and they, corrupt the world and these nephilim are born and then the flood comes and now they're demons and then the new yeah. you know, the, the the nephilim are on the earth after those days so 
it ain't God being spiteful because he don't like tall people. He is, yeah. <laughs> he's eradicating these remnant Nephilim, you know, yeah. and he's sending out Joshua and Caleb and David and the mighty men, and they're wiping these guys out. And as yeah. they die, they have nowhere to go. They're demons. And so the New Testament is Jesus just popping them <laughs> left and right. <laughs> you know, and it's the same bad guys. It's it's the greatest story in it the is. entire world. I mean, as a writer, I just think God is the best novelist in the entire world. Like by way of writing style, uh, plot line, characterization, like um, the way the story plays out is absolutely the mind of a genius. And, you know, and when I talk about him being uh, writing the best novel, I'm not I'm not talking about, you know, fiction. <laughs> this is nonfiction, people. Right. But, but even just the way he writes all of our stories, like all of our lives, you know, it talks about how he's the author and protect perfecter of our faith. And, I was gonna say, yeah. and as a writer, that is so like rings so true with me. It's like my life is like this beautiful story like there's terrible parts of it and there's things like this it's never gonna like recover after this and then there's these highs and the all these people you meet and the way he uses you and the way he redeems you and you bear fruit and you know you go from a nobody to a you know a, a high priest in the kingdom of god like he is just the he's an author like i just i love that and if you read the book of job the parts where jehovah is talking to job it's all poetry he, it, it's all poetic. Where were you when the storehouses of the sea? Like that's <laughs> po po he speaks in poetry, and so I just have such an appreciation for just the beauty of words when they flow out of the mouth and the pen of of God and His inspired writers is just so beautiful. Amen. Amen. Yes, I agree a hundred percent. But I share your thought, Bo, when you, you know, you said like when it all came together for you and you realized just the cohesion of, you know, Genesis to Revelation and the whole story and how it all fit. And I kind of had the same, like when I came across like uh, Gary Wayne and Heiser and, you know, all the greats that we now all know and love right. who, op who opened the scriptures for me. And I just had this moment because I really struggled in high school and college with a very real depression yeah because i thought you know now that i'm done with college i've got a few things to look forward to like the big highs in life are you get engaged you get married you have sex you have a baby then you have grandkids and maybe you get a new car in there or a nice job or something or whatever but i just thought that's it like that's all yeah. this whole entire planet like God made all of this and, you know, I know eternity is going to be good, but it's just like a car and a job and some relationships. And I'm like, well, and I, I was legitimately depressed over how dull and boring planet earth was. And when I had this awakening with how, oh my gosh, this is what's really going on. I was so excited and I was like, I knew it. I knew it. Like I knew there was something more to this. And it yeah. was like, I, I don't know if you ever saw the movie Galaxy Quest, you know, with Tim, <laughs> Tim Allen, yeah. um, you know, the, the, the nerdy little Trekkie in his room on the computer. And 
and Tim Allen contacts him like, we need your help. And he's like, it's real. And he's like, I knew it. You know, like, <laughs> like, like he knew that he knew the Trekkie metaverse was real the whole time. Right. That is like, I resonate with that because when, when I started hearing like uh, Gary Wayne and Heiser, especially talking about what these verses really mean and what's really going on and how meaningful our lives are and how precious we are in his sight and how important killing our sin and being sanctified is because of, of the weight of glory that we'll receive in return for eternity. Mm -hmm. And it's not all just about like, oh, I got to try to stop gossiping and I had a bad week and Jesus forgive me. And I, you know, you know huh. to just know that what motivates me now to kill my sin isn't I got to be a better person or, you know, whatever. What motivates me to make war with my sin is if you're telling me that in eternity I can have greater depths of appreciating the glory of Jesus Christ and I can be in a closer proximity to his presence for oh, all wow. of eternity, I am going to do everything in my power. I'm going to sell everything I own because I know there's a treasure buried in this field and there is nothing this world has to offer. There's no feeling or experience or amount of money there's nothing this world has to offer me that is more tempting to me than being at his feet for eternity i don't want to be in the nosebleed section for eternity i want to be front and center i don't have to have any crowns on and awards i don't need a spotlight on me but i will be darned if i've gone through 80 years on this hellacious planet full yes. of trauma and terror and horror and sadness and grief to just get nosebleed seats forever. No way. I'm making <laughs> war with this now. <laughs> yes. If that don't motivate you, nothing will. <laughs> that was, yes. Got that right, man. Got that right. Oh, gee. I, I agree with you a hundred percent. Do what we can now. Yes. Oh, wow. Yes. Oh, where are we going from here? Uh, where are we at? Verse 10, 11? Yeah, we're, we're only about halfway done. <laughs> okay. So verse 10, we've got the plague coming. I, I love this section. Um, when I sing my Psalm 91 song, this is the part that I love. And I, I do a key change and stuff to highlight because I just love this. When you think about how much of our life is ruled by the unknown anxieties, the news, like the hundreds of thousands of things that could go wrong with our body, with our life, with our marriage, with our job. And then you've got this section here. No evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent. Hmm. He will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands that you won't even strike your foot against a stone. I mean, he won't let you stumble. <laughs> no, nobody can promise us this. Right. There, there isn't, there is not no job security on this planet. There's no health security. There's no family security. Um, New Year's Day, Monday, my dad left to go um, have a luncheon with some friends. And I stayed back because I wasn't feeling good. And 15 minutes later, I thought someone had busted into the house. So I go out there <laughs> with my weapon thinking someone, <laughs> someone had broken. And it's my dad standing there in a daze. And I'm like, what? What's wrong with you, man? Like, what, what, 
what he was like stunned like and he ended up telling me that he just trashed the car and was in a what should have been a fatal car wreck oh no and he's standing on two feet and i tell you i've been thinking you know this whole year i've been pondering <laughs> um <laughs> that in an instant my dad just left the house with a pot of chili yeah and i i could have gotten a call that day we found your dad in a ditch like that's the world we live in mm. You know, and, and praise God, I just want to give public proclamation, like, thank you, Jesus, for saving my 77-year-old dad. He yes. walked out of that. But what I'm saying is, no evil will befall you. No plague. It won't even come near your tent. Right. Ange angels surrounding us, guarding us, bearing us up on their hands. Um, this is incredible. Well, this this is promising guardian angels. You know, yes. People ask if that's real or whatever. Yes, right here. God will charge his angels concerning you. So you have angels concerning you. And they yes. will guard you in all your ways. Yeah. I'm I'm a pretty literal person a lot of time. And I take that literally. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And the whole like, so that you don't strike your foot against a stone. Like, they're literally like carrying you through the roughest parts of life now sometimes yes. it doesn't feel like they are but this is where we can if we have faith over feelings if you can take the hardest point in your life like you know a miscarriage or a spouse dies or someone you love leaves you or rejects you or you have the cancer diagnosis like if you look at the worst time in your life and you can get a mental picture in your head that even though it doesn't feel like it, that was the point in your life where guardian angels literally were dispatched from heaven and have picked you up off your feet and are carrying you through that situation. Yes, That's absolutely. phenomenal. Yes, That's phenomenal. No one can promise this to us. No. Nothing on earth can come close. There's not a husband a father, a military, a, a boss. There's nobody that can promise us this. Right. This is truly delivering us from evil. Mm. Um, and I'm not going to ask you what angels are because that, <laughs> that, that, that could be another episode. If you want to get into oh, that. gosh. I know. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, but notice, too, that these two verses here, 11 and 12, in the temptation of Christ in Matthew 4. Mm, these are, yes, yes, yes. These are the two verses that Satan tries to throw at Jesus. Yes, I know. Isn't that crazy? You he, know, he, quotes, thinks, he quotes from the very chapter of scripture that like predicts his own weakness and demise. In the very next <laughs> verse. I know. <laughs> but he don't well, say that one. You know, he that, that out. That, he's got guts, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jesus should have said, um, why don't you quote verse 13? Yeah. <laughs> and then, oh, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, is that all? Is there a period there? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you will trample down. And I, what I love about this is this harkens back to Genesis 3.15 um, when the the heel of jesus christ crushes yes. the serpent and yes. and david didn't know anything about this david hadn't seen the fulfillment of that and 
I always look at it like the one that this is where I feel unworthy, you know, cue Wayne's world, right? We're not worthy. <laughs> I, I always think that the heel that crushes the serpent is Jesus. He is the one worthy to unroll the, un unroll the scroll, right? He is the one oh, who yeah. was made perfect so that he could atone for our sins. We're nobody. We're sinners. We're dust. We're worms. And yet he's telling us that we also can crush the, the serpent's head. Like yeah. that almost seems blasphemous to me. Like, no, that's like, that's what Jesus does. <laughs> but to say that I'm going to impute my power to you and that when these things come after you, you can just step on them and crush you, their Jesus. skull. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And it kind of bounces forward to Luke 10, 19 too. Mm. When he says, yeah, you, you've been given authority uh, yes. to tread upon the, yes. the scorpions or whatever. Yes. Um, it, it's just beautiful how the cross references, you know, it's I, like, <laughs> you know, right, right. Oh, and, yeah, it, it's nuts. I, I love it. So the word serpent there in 13, and I haven't looked into lion and cobra. And but the serpent there, um, that goes back to the Hebrew word tannin. That's Strong's number eight five seven seven. It's T A N N I N, and it means serpent, dragon, or sea monster. And so again, kind of like in Genesis, if you're just thinking of like a little rattlesnake or something. Um, I'm thinking, and I've, I'll have to ask Derek Gilbert about this because he's done a lot of research on chaos and Tiamat and is it Lotan or uh, the Leviathan? Leviathan? I think these are all sort of similar. Um, they're not necessarily all the same, but they're all kind of the same right. offshoots of the same concept, this chaos monster or, you know, the Lovecraft would call it Cthulhu, you know, this this beast creature rising from the sea, you know. Right. So um, it's not just saying, you know, when problems come along, you're you're going to, you know, you're going to have the resources to take care of those problems. Like it's like this is talking about the the very chaos monster, you know, I mean, it, you know, it's one thing if um, you say. I, I'm just thinking of. Um, was it which which one of the hobbits got the little sword or, or i mean did Fro did frodo get the little sword what was it i don't know um, i don't know which one so so when when what's his face the guy in what gandalf he's given out like weapons to everybody and frodo and some of the hobbits they just get these like little swords it's probably like little toothpicks you know <laughs> And so it's like, I kind of feel like I'm down here with my tiny little sword that all of the, like the fallen angels are just mocking and rolling their eyes. Like, what are you going to do with that toothpick, you know? And, and that, and then you look at it and it's like the sword, you know, if, if the name of Jesus is engraved on this, this sword, and I've got the backing of, of, you know, my savior behind the sword, I don't care how wimpy this little weapon looks to you. Yeah. Um, it's a plus you know, 20 look, against demons. <laughs> exactly right right it's like david he all he needed was a slingshot right so the the fact that we're not just verse 13 isn't this little metaphor about like when you when you're you know you have a review at work the next day and you're scared your boss is gonna demote you like we're not talking about just little stuff here we're talking about uh 
when Satan comes to sift you like wheat, yes, he will fail. Yes. Amen. Yeah. Yes. And that's another one. Make that when you read this as a prayer, put that in first person. Mm. I will tread upon the lion and the cobra. Yeah. All right. Because God, you know, that Holy Spirit within us, that inner man, that's who's doing this stuff. It's not us. Uh, yeah. it's it's the Holy Spirit within us. God, God's given us this authority. You know, he dwells inside of us like we dwell inside of him. Yeah. So to, to but to be able to say the young lion and the dragon, I will trample down. <laughs> you know, don't let's not Man. forget who we are in Christ. Right. Yeah. Yeah. A reminder. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, when we get to verses 14 through 16, this yes. is the prophetic word of God. Yes. Right. This is from God's perspective. Right. Yes. Um, I love how how it switches like that. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm about to choke oh. too now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, I don't know if I've really ever noticed that before, but you're so right. Now, again, it's almost like a communication between the two. Uh, you know, the psalmist has said all of these is meditating on all this, and then. It's being verified by the yes. one that he's that he's saying it to. It's kind of like a little love duet, a little love song duet. Yeah, yeah, because this is like God's response. Yes, yeah, that's really cool. It says, um, yeah. I also love how this ties back cross reference to what I was saying at the beginning of the show was one of my other favorite psalms was twenty seven. Here it says, I will set him securely on high. <laughs> and in Psalm 27, 5, it says, for in the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent, he will hide me. He <laughs> will lift me up on a rock. So now we have this. We are safe because we are concealed in his tent. We have come over the threshold. And we, the reason we're safe is because we're concealed in his house. Yes, we're dwelling in the shelter of the Most High, right? Yes, yes. Yes. Because he has loved me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him securely on high because he has known my name. To know their name means you have a relationship, right? Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, 15, he will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. That's huge. Yeah, it is. He he's promising us. He's he's making this agreement here. Like he promises, he he makes eight covenantal promises here that I have in my mm. notes. Uh, one, he makes a promise to deliver us. Two, he he makes a promise to set us on high. Then he makes a promise to answer our prayers. He makes a promise to be with us, to rescue us, and to honor us. To be honored, that's to be given special recognition, mm. you know. Wow. Uh, wow. this is it's incredible. Yeah, there's, there's no greater what, how could God, how could we ask for God to honor us? <laughs> you know, it again, it just it just almost feels blasphemous. I know, I know, but he's saying that he's going to do that, 
It's amazing. You know, it's interesting. I will set him securely on high because he has known my name. And when you look at like Moses in the burning bush, he didn't know his name. Who are you? Who do I say sent you? And, right. you know, the name was revealed. And there were times too elsewhere in scripture where it says uh, that no one called on the name of the Lord in those days or because they did not call on the name of Jehovah in those days and things like that. And and we have all these controversies now where we don't know how to pronounce his name and people are bickering over how to pronounce it. But what I think is even more fascinating is we're this far into, uh, you know, history and nobody really knows how that name is pronounced. And so it is hidden. There is something secret about it. And so the fact that you've got someone who is secure because they know your name, if you know his name, you've spent a lot of time with him because he doesn't reveal it to everybody. Um, And we have all, we have all of these pronouns, God and Lord and things that like our titles, they're not names. So even the fact that we know the name, even the fact that he makes that name somewhat secret so that other people aren't calling on it. And it, you know, it's interesting. I'm sure you've heard this, that the reason Jesus said Lazarus come forth is because if he had just said, come forth, every dead body on the planet would have risen. Right. Right. And so we know this too, from witchcraft, that the way that they conjure demons is they are, they figure out the names of these demons and they do these rituals and they conjure them, but you have to know the name of these demons. And this is in, this is in folklore as well. Rumpelstiltskin, like it was a hidden name and she didn't have power over her own life until she figured out that secret name. And then when she knew the name, she, you know, was out of her covenant. And so it makes me wonder if part of this protection that we're going to get And when we're hidden away in his tabernacle, you know, when the crap hits the fan and if it's the end times or whatever, part of what happens is that we're given new names that that are secret and no one knows. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if even that is a protective measure, because if these occult people are calling on our name and we no longer respond to it, and it's almost like, you know, in it's like a trigger word that they don't know anymore. And just in changing our name, not only is that an honor or not only is that coming us, us coming into a new identity, but I, I almost wonder, and I'm just speculating here. I'm just musing. Cause I just like to muse yeah. is I, I wonder if one of the reasons why our name is being changed is so that they can't conjure us or they don't have any dirt on us. You know, they can't remind us in that day that you really belong to us because you you're a sinner and you did this and you did that. And, Part of the redemptive security that we have is that he changes that name so they cannot conjure us. Ah, love that. That is wow. Yeah, isn't it? Yes. And it, it put a song in my head. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I, I know you I, I know you love music. Uh, mm-hmm. are you familiar? And I think I've talked to you about him before. Chris Cornell. Oh, come um, on. Yeah. Yeah. He he did a song, solo album. Um the song was called Ghosts. Ooh. And oh. And it, it's a good one. It's a good one. It would almost make you think that uh Okay. You know, so so much of his music had a Christian under theme. I yes. And uh they could say that he, you know, he he wasn't necessarily a Christian when he died or he he didn't know the Lord or whatever. He was raised Catholic. I'm I'm pretty sure. Uh, I think he had a pretty good familiarity with with God and there's there's too many rare, like light my way come on he's, con- oh, he's pouring yeah. his heart out to, to the Lord the whole yeah, song like 
like a stone. Yeah. 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 So well, I, I like to think that he'll be there when I get there. I but, know. <laughs> with a new name. But the song goes. <laughs> uh, the song goes. I want you to check that out. Chris Cornell Ghosts. That's yeah. A, and tell me if that don't sound like a little, uh, a little bit of like on point here. Whether you're talking about the, yeah. names, the names. Oh, wow. Okay. I got distracted. I'm sorry. That No, that's okay. That's good. I'm definitely going to check those lyrics out. Um, the, okay, verse 16. With a long life, I will satisfy him and let him behold my salvation. Two more Ooh. promises. Yep. He's promising us a good long life. Yeah. We'll be satisfied with a long life. And eternal salvation. You know, that's a cherry on top, right? Yep, yep. And this is cool. I'm so glad salvation is the last word in this psalm because we've already talked about pestilence and terror by night and the, the midday demon and the arrow and uh, the serpent, all these words that have an entity hiding behind it. The Hebrew word for salvation is Yeshua. Oh, wow. His, his name, his name is salvation. So will we, we will see our salvation. We'll, we'll, We'll come into our reward. We'll be saved. We'll, we'll, we won't just be protected here on earth. He's going to protect us through to the end, and we're going to see salvation. But he's going to literally let us see the face of Christ. Yes. So, oh, my goodness. Bam. Oh, wow. Bam. Yeah. Mic drop. It's like. I don't know. I've I have thoroughly enjoyed going through this psalm with you. Uh, I I already love this psalm, but you brought out so many things. I I I love the stuff that you brought out about some of like the the pestilence and stuff. But knowing now that verses that verse seven is not evil winning and killing a bunch of people, but it is actually the wrath of God, and that's why we're safe. Like that. I love that. That just makes me want to sing until I lose my voice. <clears throat> Man, <laughs> glory to God. It, 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 you got me off right off the jump with verse one with the <laughs> with the, the covenants, you know, the threshold covenant. Oh, I'm like, man. man, we could stop this right now. <laughs> I know. <laughs> what more do we need? You know? I know. I mean, it is I mean, isn't it amazing? Like, I don't know how long we've been on because it hasn't seemed like a long time, but to spend as much time as we have on one chapter, not even scratch the surface and just know this is one chapter and all the books of the world couldn't even contain everything. And I I just can't wait for my like road to Emmaus moment where we get to heaven and it's like, okay, we've got all the time in the world. Nobody needs bathroom breaks. No one's going to get sick. No one's dying. <laughs> and right. it's like, and when Jesus unfolded the entirety of the law and the prophets to the disciples on the road, I mean, he literally explained to them what what it all meant. I mean, can you imagine being a fly on the wall in that conversation? <laughs> so I just can't wait for us to get up there and he's going to take this book out and he's going to say, open your Bibles to Genesis 1-1. Oh my gosh, yes. I can't wait. I can't wait. Yes. Uh, yeah, I want to hear that. Is there... Is there is there something that went on between Genesis one one and one two? Is there something? Yeah. There? <laughs> you know, let's just and, say we could take yeah. a year there. It's fine. I know. And then Bo, this is what he's going to do. He's like, "Why? Yes, there is something between verse one and two. And then we'll get through all that. And then he'll say, "Oh, by the way, there's something between verse two and 
three. <laughs> yeah. And three and four and so on. So, oh. oh, man. And I don't think I'll get tired of it. I, I no, don't... no. I, I hope we maintain this aspect of humanity in heaven. Yeah. You know, that that childlikeness, like when you're a kid and you learn something for the first time and you're like, whoa, oh, you know, like I, I just hope that it takes like billions of years longer to explain this to us because there's going to be this like chain reaction. It's going to be like the wave in a sports stadium. Like every time he says something we didn't know, it's going to be millions of people going like, what? And we're all going to be like fist bumping and like chest pounding. And, <laughs> and like, would you just hear that? Wait, what? Like, we're going to just be so excited, man. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I, I thought that I wanted it all revealed at once. I wanted to get up there and just know it all. But you're right. Mm -mm -mm. I don't want to. I want. I want this to be slow rolled out to me. No way. No way, Forever. man. I, and and I hope there's like massive libraries up there where we have to dig for years to find stuff, and we still get to treasure hunt and put clues together, and then yeah. we get to go to the Bible study that night and go, look what I found. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus just gives you a thumbs up every once in a while. Yeah. You yeah. Got, you got, <laughs> yep, yep. It took long enough, buddy. Go ahead. <laughs> I know, right? We're a million years into this. You just figured that out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, man. Well, hmm. I guess we could wrap this up here. Um, oh, I have yes. absolutely enjoyed this. I've loved this. Um, Me too. I you pick the next topic and we'll do it again some other time if you want to. Cause uh, I, I don't know. It's just, it does my heart good to, to have these conversations with you. I love it. Yeah. It's so fun. You know, I've got a whole bunch of notes on King David that I don't really know what to do with. And yeah. I think an episode on King David would be awesome. Let's do it. Cause I have some questions about King David and his mighty man. And ah. I think that would be a good conversation to get into. That'd be great. That'd be great. Yes. All right. Well, Vicki Joy Anderson, will you want to tell everybody where they can find your amazing book and uh, anything else you want to plug? Sure. Absolutely. Uh, you can find me on VickiJoyAnderson.com. I'm on Instagram, Vicki Joy Author. Uh, you can catch me on Through the Black 2 on YouTube with Tom Dunn, though I am taking a little writing leave, so I might not be back on there until March or so. And uh, what else? If you want my book, they only come out at night, Exposing the Dark Weapon of Sleep Paralysis. You can either go to theonlycomeoutatnight.net or you can go directly to lamarzuli.net. I love that you have a site dedicated to this book now. Yeah, it, it's it's super cool. There's excerpts from the book, and there's some case studies and bio, and it's uh, it's 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 a pretty cool site. Awesome. I'll put some links in the show notes, um, to make sure that it's even simpler for people to find that. And I thank you very very much for coming on the show. Oh, thanks for having me. I always love being on on the bumps. So was this number four? This is number three. Number three. Number three. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So we'll. Yeah. The first time was they only come out at night. It was season four, episode 11 for anybody that wants to write that down. Um, <laughs> the second time <laughs> was season four, episode 24. It was pretty short thereafter. And it was Asclepios. Yes. Uh, revealed, I think was the last part that I, I tossed in there for a little flavor. And this was <laughs> the 
early season five, like uh, episode four or five, something like that. All right. All right. That's all oh, that. Yes, that's right. That's right. It was our it was our hat trick. Yes, that's right. <laughs> very cool. Very cool. All right. Well, hey, well, thank you so much for doing this and for uh, enduring the, the illness and just pushing <laughs> oh, through. Absolutely. Anytime, Bo. Thank you so much. God bless you. And I hope you feel better tonight. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right. Good night. <laughs> Good night. That's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. If you have an experience or an encounter that you'd like to share, holler at me. You can reach me at thebumppodcast at gmail.com or by the bump phone at 304-812-0553. Leave a text or a voicemail either way and I'll get back to you. Also, please be sure to leave a five-star rating and review on whatever platform you're listening to. Stick around after this for a special invitation. Thank
Come on. Yeah. Shady with the saints of gold With their troubles far behind them To never suffer anymore I'm going home in the morning personally ready to submit your life to God and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The book of Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says it really simply that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved. It's that simple. To be born again to start a new life as a child of God to join God's army to rise up against the evil forces that you know are all around you. You don't have to do it alone. I love you. Jesus loves you. And may God bless you. God's will 
called me up one night just to say, Brother, if you would, I need you to pray. So I went to the altar. I fell down. Better days. 